We have come as far as verse 15. Let's just read through quickly. It says, And he talked with me, he that talked with me, had a golden reed to measure the city, the gates thereof, and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper. And the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second was sapphire. The third was Chalcedony. The fifth was em- fourth was emerald. The fifth was sardonyx. Uh, the sixth was sardius. The seventh was chrysolite. The eighth was beryl. The ninth was topaz. The tenth was chrysophrasis. The eleventh, jacinth. And the twelfth, amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were, transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb, notice, is the light thereof, the glory. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. They shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. So John now drawing closer to the city. He told us that he saw the new heaven and the new earth and this new Jerusalem, the holy city, coming down out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. Then he described some of the circumstances of the city, no sickness, no death, no sorrow, no tears, no suffering, And he goes through and the Lord saying, it is done. These things are finished. It's accomplished. This is a done deal. And then he says, and these things won't be there. And he goes through a list. All those who do these things will have no inheritance here. And then he says, one of the angels, which had the seven last plagues, came to me and talked with me. He recognized him from over a thousand years before that. And he says, I'm going to show you the lamb's wife, the bride, this city that comes down from heaven. And he starts to give us a description of it, that its appearance was like a jasper stone, but clear as crystal. Had a great and high wall around it, twelve gates, and the twelve angels guarding the gates, and written thereon the names of the twelve tribes of Israel, uh, east three gates, north three gates, south three gates, west three gates. The wall of the city, twelve foundations, and the foundations and names of the apostles of the Lamb, and now he's come in close. He started on a great high mountain. The city is 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles high, so he had to get to get a gander at it. He was way back. Now he's been drawn in closer to see things, and actually 
there are measurements. And God wants us to take this. You know, it says, I have not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But by his spirit, he makes these things real to us. Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will show you things to come. So in our comprehension, in our mental capacities, this is beyond our comprehension. Uh, but he, he still puts it in words through the quill of John, and he sets it in front of us. You know, Warren Wearsby says the best teacher is the teacher that can turn ears into eyes. The teacher that can turn ears into eyes. And certainly the Lord does that here as he brings this city in front of us. He tells us in verse 15, He that talked with me... Now, this is the angel from back in verse 9. He that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, the gates, and the wall thereof. Now, of course, the reed had to be golden. We're in heaven. John uh, was given a reed, a rod. In chapter 11, verse 1, he was to measure Jerusalem on the earth, apostate Jerusalem, and the worshipers. But now this, the angel, one of the uh, seven angels that had the plagues, is going to be the one who measures the city with a golden reed, of course. And then he begins to give us these measurements. It says, The city lieth four square. The length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed 12,000 furlongs. Listen closely. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. So this is this is beyond comprehension. Look, we we're, it, it, we take for granted new heavens, new earth. That the new earth is vastly larger than the present earth. If you put a city this side on the on the present earth, it would wobble out of orbit. You know, the, this new heaven, this new earth is so large that this city is able to come down and sit upon it. It says the city was four square tetragonos in the Greek, and it speaks of a square, speaks of four angles on every side. What it's telling us, it's the shape of it is a cube, the shape of this city. There are scholars who I appreciate who say this is a pyramid. It's 1,500 miles on a side, and then the center of the pyramid goes up 1,500 miles in the center, and what you really have here is a pyramid. That's baloney. Every time I read that, my baloney meter goes off. You know, God's not representing our eternal home as a pagan monument like the Incas or the the, the pyramids in Egypt and so forth or the Tower of Babel. Tetragonos means four sides. This is a cube. It's 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles high, as was... The Holy of Holies in the tabernacle was 10 cubits by 10 cubits by 10 cubits. It was a a cube. The Holy of Holies in Solomon's temple, measurements the same. It was a cube. And this tells us right here, there's no temple. This is the Holy of Holies. It is 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles high, 1,500 miles wide. That's a city that goes from Atlantic City to Denver, And from the Canadian border to the Gulf of Mexico, a city, if you can imagine. If, you know, God lays this in front of us, how do we take this in? 
a city that large, 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles, within it, there are 3,375,000,000 cubical miles. 3 billion, some of you appreciate what I'm saying, 3,375,000,000 cubical miles. 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles on each side is 2,250,000 square miles. 2,250,000 square miles on each side, on the base, and on the top. Just imagine the size of this and what it is. You know, Henry Morris, in his book, who had the privilege of meeting and speaking two years ago, he wrote a book, Biblical Cosmology of Modern Science. He was a PhD. He was a scientist. And he sat with this city and he did this work. He said, if I take the population from Adam to the flood, and I, I do that graciously. I don't cut back. I add to it. Then take the population of the earth from the flood to the present. And then I'll take the population of the earth as best I can through the millennium. You know, you know, Kathy and I had four kids. Imagine if we both lived to be 900 years old, how many kids we'd have, you know. So he said, I'll take the population during the millennium. He said, I will add into those figures abortions, miscarriages, and so forth. And he said, when you do all that and you, you make it very generous, your estimate comes out to between 80 and 100 billion people have lived in history. 80 billion. If you take a fourth of those, you know, when Jesus tells the parable of the sower is the one seed that brings forth fruit, if you figure one out of every four human beings in the history of mankind gets saved, which is very generous, by the way, that means the population of the city will be 20 billion. That's three times the present population of Earth. Imagine taking everybody that lives on the earth right now and placing them between Atlantic City and Denver and Canadian border and the Gulf. Imagine taking three times the present population and doing that. But understand, this city, the, the scope of it is not just measured in breadth and width. It's measured in height. It's measured cubically. It's measured, in fact, Henry Morris said this, if you put... 20 billion people in this city and you give them one-fourth of the city. Jesus said he went to prepare a place for his many mansions. He said if you do that, then each mansion for 20 billion people is 75 acres on a side. 75 acre floor, 75 acre sides, and 75 acre ceiling. 20 billion people take up one-fourth of the city. He said that leaves three-fourths of this city for God's throne, for the river of life, for the trees of life, for whatever else. Who knows what God's, you know, for the, the bigger who knows that are going to amaze us more than what, what he puts before us here. So the scope of this is unimaginable. Look, you read through this. You, you long to take hold of this because everything around us right now is sensory driven all our social media all of our television it takes hold of our emotions it pulls on us but man has an innate ability that god honors particularly those that are born again to take hold of things that the eye the ear and the mind haven't taken hold of but by the spirit those things are able to be real within us 
This is what's in front of us. This is what's waiting for us. This is what we're going to experience together. And we're going to get there. No, no cancer, no sorrow, no broken homes, no abuse, none of the things we see, none of the, none of the scars we come to the church with as Christians, that we've got, things we've gone through, none of that. This city, if you can imagine what this looks like, remarkable. And then it says, he measured the wall thereof, verse 17, 144 cubits according to the measure of a man. That is the measure of an angel, because he's got an angel there with the reed, but he says it's according to human measurements. So a cubit, a cubit comes from the Latin word cubito, which means elbow. So a cubit was from the elbow to the middle, middle finger, that length, depending on how big the person was. That's always about 18 to 21 inches. So if we do it conservatively, 18 inches a cubit, he's talking about 216 feet. If you do it with a bigger person, he's talking about 300 feet. You're talking about basically the length of a football field. So he's telling us here that the wall is 216, 300 feet these 144 cubits here. So scholars then say, well, this is the wall around the city. I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. you got a city that's 1,500 miles high and a 200-foot wall, wall around. What good is that? What would that ever do? And, you know, besides that, it tells us in verse 12 here that the city was great and tall. The wall of the city was great and tall and high. This is not the height. This is the thickness of the wall. Imagine, ladies, don't look at your rings, but this is a, this is a city of diamond, jasper. 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. There are 12 gates, each one of a single pearl. How can that happen? Oysters don't get that big. Hey, God made oysters. God made the city. He knows what he's doing. That's why Abraham looked for it. He said his, his, the architect and the builder is God. Not humans. not human stuff. But imagine ladies walking through a football field of diamond. Just imagine. You know, and, and even at 1,500 miles, that's still thin. In fact, it's like a sheet of glass. John didn't say the city, the walls are like a sheet of glass because he never saw a sheet of glass. But imagine what's being brought in front of us here. And John, in his day, the gates are always a feature of the wall. Jerusalem had 12 gates. And then you, I've been to Jerusalem 29 times. You go there inside the present wall of Jerusalem. The homes are built right up against the wall. There's not like a wall around the wall of Jerusalem. The wall of Jerusalem is the beginning of the city, and the gates are a feature of the wall of the city itself. And John knew that in Jericho, he knew it in Babylon, he knew it in Jerusalem, uh, Nineveh, and so forth. So this city now, the wall is 1,500 miles high, has three gates on a side, and it's a football field thick. This jasper stone, this pure jasper. And he says, the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like unto clear glass. So you have to imagine the, the building, and it's the only time that word building is used in the New Testament. It's a word for contractors. It specifically speaks of the makeup, the construction. He, he's saying something 
some of you appreciate this, very particular. The construction of the wall, the, the, the nature of the wall, the design of the wall. Here he says, the building of the wall of it was of jasper, which again, we're looking at a diamond because he says clear as glass. And the city inside the clear walls, <clears throat> it says is pure gold. This pure, like unto clear glass. Well, gold ain't pure like glass. This is not old earth glass. This is new earth gold, not old old earth gold. You know, isn't it funny? We, we look at gold now and you get 24 karat gold. That's pure gold. By the fact, it isn't pure gold because in Tutankhamun's tomb, a lot of that gold was 28 to 32 karat. And some of that gold, when they cut it thin, was translucent. Light would come through it. And there are, you know, these, these chemists and all that feel like if you take pure gold and you grind it down and then you melt it down to its purest form, that it's translucent. It doesn't matter because that's still old earth gold. Look, isn't it funny? We kill each other over gold. The, the, the economies of the world are based on gold and silver. It's the gold standard. It's very simple, interesting because it tells us the day's going to come on the world where you're going to have to trade your Krugerrands for a loaf of bread. Things are going to get that bad because gold is always the standard. doesn't say anywhere you're going to be able to trade Bitcoin for a loaf of bread, so use your head. The gold standard still rules the world. There's always all kinds of conspiracy behind the scene. What country's getting the gold? Where are they storing it? Where is it hidden and so forth? That always goes on. But this gold is new earth gold, not old earth gold. And it's clear as glass. Certainly it has to reflect the glory of God. One gemologist I read said, this is more spectacular than anything that has ever been seen. The human eye would have to be radically changed just to view this, to look at it, what's being described. Amazing. Then it says this. It says, And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. And then it's going to give us the foundation. So the foundations are garnished. We have that word one other time earlier in the chapter where it says the city was coming down as a bride adorned for her husband. Garnished for her husband. How does a bride do it up on wedding day for the for the groom, you know? It says this city is garnished, adorned, same word, with all of these precious stones, and the stones are the foundations. Now look, scholars go back and forth. I'm going to be happy either way. Some say, because there's three gates on a side, that on every side of the city there's a 500-mile gem, and the gates in the middle of each one, which means the corner of the, the side gems have to be cut on a 45 to bring the other one in. Some say that uh, that the, the they go f that the corners are one piece and it goes to the center of the gate, and then there are two gems between the gates on each side. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. 
You just have to imagine it's incomprehensible. Imagine three gems on a side 500 miles long, each gem. How thick, it doesn't tell us. We dig a little thing again out of the earth today and say, oh, look at that. You know, you know the, the, the Jews are famous for carrying diamonds with them because to carry that much value in gold, they'd need a train, you know. But we put so much value on gems and so forth. And we're digging these, again, little things out of the ground that are saying, you ain't seen nothing yet, you know. You know, this is what he puts before us. So here's the foundations as we read through them. It says the first foundation was jasper, diamond. So imagine a 500-mile diamond. Ladies, don't look at your fingers. Imagine a 500-mile diamond. The second foundation, sapphire, blue. And these are new earth sapphires, not old earth sapphires. What is this like, a 500-mile blue sapphire with a gate on it? The third was chalcedonia, blue-green with yellow hues. The fourth was emerald, and this is a divine emerald. This is the green zone. This is the the green New Deal. This is where you're going to find me. I like green. I'll be somewhere looking for Joe. I'm somewhere in the green zone. The fifth was sardonyx, which is a red, brilliant red stone with white streaks through it. Just imagine with light, you know, with with heavenly sardonyx. The sixth was sardius, which is blood red. It's a 500-mile ruby. The seventh, chrysolite, not crystal light, chrysolite, which is green and gold. The earth, then the, the eighth is beryl, which is a deep yellow sea green kind of mixture. The ninth is topaz. You might have one on you somewhere, which is a gold color, but we don't know what New Earth topaz is like. Chrysophrasis is a a green, a different green than emerald. The Greek word chrysophrasis means green as a leek. You know, leeks and onions and garlic, a leek. If you like leeks, you might want to live in the chrysophrasis area. The eleventh, jacinth, which is turquoise with some purple hues. The twelfth, Amethyst, purple, 500 miles of purple, and it's heavenly purple. Imagine what this looks like with a clear wall standing on all these foundations. The streets inside the city, gold but like clear glass. And it says, And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent Twice it says now, pure gold in heaven is transparent glass. The gates, how big are the gates? Twelve gates, three on each side. Uh, Are they a hundred foot tall? The word can be tower gates as well. It can be the word like for vestibule, for entrance. These are twelve entrances. Are they a hundred foot high? Are they a thousand miles high? I'm going to be good. I'm going to be good, however it is. And in these 12 gates, each one carved out of a single pearl, some poor oyster squeezing that out. You know, the, the interesting thing is to the Romans and the Greeks, a pearl was the most valuable stone because it wasn't cut 
It wasn't dug out of the ground. It was formed in nature, and it wasn't anything that that they could produce. So the pearl, Jesus talks about the pearl of great price. It, it was the most valuable. And they understood when you took that pearl from the oyster, the oyster died. You took the oyster's life. So it was, you know, and you look at this and think, all these gates are of pearls. Does each one speak of the fact that Christ died to make entrance for us? On each gate, there's a name of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. You know, they had been on the high priest's breastplate. You know, we read about Jacob naming his sons. We hear in different places the list of the 12 tribes. Here's their final resting place. This is why these names were originated. Because their destiny was to sit on these 12 gates into this city. And these men, that the, the, the 12 tribes, they were so human and so flawed and so in need of God's grace and forgiveness. And their names were on the entrance to this city in the street. Look, we're looking at the peripheral when we look at this. It, it tells us very little about what, when you come to a city, you go to the city because what's inside. It's almost like, can he actually describe to us what the inside is going to be like? We can hardly comprehend, comprehend the peripheral, the outside of the city. I mean, you think you know colors because you love a sunset, some of you. Few of you love a sunrise. Most of us don't get up to see that. But sunsets, you know. You, you love autumn, the color of the leaves. You love, you know, the seasons. You love a cloudy day. You love a mountainscape, you know, colors. We only think we know about colors. We only think we have not seen the colors that eyes were made to see yet. You'll know what eyeballs are for when you get to this place. That's when you'll know what they're for, when these colors come in front of us. Entering the city, it starts to tell us now, there's these 12 gates, 12 pearls, streets are of pure gold. And it says, and I saw, now that's the last time in Revelation that he says, I saw. In verse 8 in the next chapter, he says, I, John, saw. But this particular phrase, I saw, Eden, I perceived no temple therein. So the first thing he tells us that he saw is what he didn't see. Very interesting. I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Understand this is a Jewish boy. And he says, I'm overtaken by the first thing I realized. There's no temple here. I mean, through the Jewish history, the, whether it was the tabernacle that David brought that sat over the city, Solomon's temple, looked over the hills around Jerusalem. Zerubbabel, when he re- rebuilt the temple, looked over the hills around Jerusalem. Herod's temple looked over the hills around Jerusalem. The apostate temple built you know, during the tribulation period will look over the hills of Jerusalem. The millennial temple, it says, will be lifted up and raised. It will look over, you know. That was always the case. And now John said, there's no temple. There's no temple. And he said, I realized, you know, the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, a cube. The Holy of Holies in Solomon's temple, a cube. And he said, I realized this is the Holy of Holies. This is the Holy of Holies. This is where the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, that's where they dwell. 
It says they are the temple. Because when the high priest would enter in once a year, Yom Kippur with the blood of the lamb into that place, you know, here's the deal. Everybody's entering in. But there's no temple. So, you know, there's no ceremonies. There's no altars. There's no curtains separating men. There's no veils. There's none of those. There's no rites. This is what Christ paid for in his blood. When Jesus said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. He saw this. It was said for the glory that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame. You and I get to be participants in this because of his death and suffering on the cross in our place. And now this is kind of put in front of us. And it says, when you finally enter in... You know, he didn't want to just buy jewels and diamonds for us. What he bought was what Adam lost when he sinned, open-faced fellowship with Almighty God. When we enter into the city, we're entering into the Holy of Holies. We're entering into heaven. And it says there's no temple there. There's no rites. There's no curtains. There's no trappings, no sacrifices, because in the middle of it is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, and they are the temple of it. 23. It says, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it. And notice this, the glory of God lighted it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Isn't it interesting? Throne of God and of the Lamb, glory of God lit it, and the light is the light. The Lamb is the light. The glory of God manifest, demonstrated in him. So there's no need for the sun or the moon. Scholars argue. I don't know if that's saying there is no sun and moon. I don't know that. I know people in the city ain't worried about it. So I'm not going to be worried about it. And there's no sun, moon, and stars that can compare with what he's putting in front of us here. Imagine, it says the, the Father and the Son, they're the light of it. You know, we see the Shekinah glory in the Old Testament in different scenes with Ezekiel and so forth. We see when Solomon dedicates the temple, the Shekinah glory fills the temple. So the priests fall down. They can't even enter. The temple looks like a flashlight and the glory of God is shining out the front door. You know, you look at Jesus you know, in the transfiguration, each the writer tries to tell us it was glistening like lightning, as whiter than any full or on earth can do. It was, it was like the sun in the noonday trying to describe how Christ, you know, the transfiguration, what took place. Paul on the road to Damascus falls down and said the Lord who appeared to him, he was brighter than the noonday sun. Have you seen that in the Middle East? Middle East, they're bright. Now look, but understand this. This is all in the old earth. God's glory manifested, the light that comes. It's still in a fallen world. Now we're seeing it with no hesitancies. You know, nothing at all slowing it down. We are looking at the glory of God and of the Lamb exploding. You know, light we can hardly imagine. And everything in the city reflects reflects and refracts light. Diamond walls, jewels for foundation, golden streets that are as clear as glass. Imagine what happens when you put that kind of light in them. No wonder who cares about the sun and the moon and the stars. And here's the other interesting thing that tells us in Daniel 12, chapter, 3, chapter 12, verse 3, that you and I 
The righteous are going to shine like the stars of heaven. Jesus says the same thing in Matthew 13, verse 43. It says, then we'll enter the kingdom of our Father and we will shine like the stars of heaven. So you have the glory of God and 20 billion stars in this city. Can you imagine? You can't imagine. Tell me if you can imagine. You can't imagine. No, you can't. You can't imagine. <laughs> you know, th this is for our heart. It's not for our intellect. How do you embrace this? You know, it, it's just unimaginable what, what this will be like. This is our home here, not here. This is our home. How do we make it through all the insanity around us on the news and all? Here. You set your heart and your eyes on this. Set your affection on things above and not on things of the earth. We have to do that more than ever. And, and we feel that now. I know COVID in one sense has been a gift because it's taken our focus off this present world and has made us think about eternity more than we ever have. Verse 24, I have no idea, but whatever it is, I'll be happy when I get there. And it says, And the nations of them that are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. You read the scholars ad nauseum. There's eight or nine major ideas about who the nations are. Who are these nations? Where do these nations come from? This is a new heavens and a new earth. Everything fled away. What Nations, what are you talking about? You know, some scholars, Linsky, you know, uh, our friend from uh, Liberty, uh, Ed Heinsohn, you know, just say, look, we do know this. It says in Matthew 24, I think around 14, that the gospel must first be preached to all nations, and the end will come. It tells us here in Revelation 5:10, I believe, that we will be kingdom of uh, priests. Uh, let me find it here. And he hath made us unto our God kings and priests. We shall reign on the earth. Chapter 7 uh, says this. Uh, losing my mind. It's that age, you know, that the thing that happens. Chapter 7 basically tells us the same thing, that it's from every nation, kindred. So some say, well, this is just describing what's taking place. All of the saved are gathered from, from the history, and, and the Jews and Gentiles and the church are all in there together. And in that, they bringing the glory and the wealth of the nations in. I'm fine with that. Some try to say, well, no, there are those during the millennium that were saved but never got in their resurrection bodies. So then when this happens, God is a special dispensation for them. Like the church was hidden in ages past, Paul said. There are eternal things that are hidden in our present time. And they're going to live on the earth. And Satan's not going to be there. So it's going to be like a new Adam and Eve, but without the tempter. So it's never going to have the problem. It's, it says they're going to enter the city and only those that are saved are going to enter the city and Jesus when he was arguing with the Sadducees said look you're asking me this stupid question but he says in heaven will be like the angels of God who neither marry or are given in marriage so there can't be any nations outside the city that are having children and that, that just can't happen so what I think about verse 24 is Thanks, John. That's really confusing. 
Well, whatever it is, we'll be good with it when we get there. Verse 25, this is wonderful. And the gates of the city shall not be shut at all by day. There is no night there, and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there, is, there shall in no wise enter anything that defiles and so forth. So you have this oime, this double negative twice. In verse 25 it says, the gates of it, no, no, shall be shut. The idea is, no way ever will these gates be shut. And there's not going to be any night there. Now John knows in his day when he wrote, at night the gates of the city were closed. He says, there's no night here. Everything that has to do with night has passed away. So these gates are never closed. They're they're entrances, not barriers. And there's an angel at each of the 12 gates. We're going to know him. John knows, you know, at my age now, people introduce, hey, what's your name? And 15 minutes later, I'm thinking, what did he say his name? Hey, brother, you know, just, you know. You know, imagine when your mind has no clutter We will know fully, even as we've been fully known. You're going to know all these angels at each gate. It it tells us that ultimately these angels will have reached their original divine purpose. That they came into being to be ministers to the heirs of salvation. Hebrews 1.14. Hebrews 12.22. That there is an innumerable company of angels in the new city, Jerusalem. You're going to know them. So what are they doing at these gates? If they're not guarding, they have to be, you know, information. You know? Think, hey, Ralph, whatever the angel's name is. I was an orphan. My parents here. You tell me where they are. I was given up for adoption. My mom got pregnant before she was married and couldn't handle the cost. Did she get saved? Is she here somewhere? I had this person in my family I always hated. We never got along. We both claimed to be Christian. Can you tell me where to find that person so we can look in each other's eyes? Miscarriages. Abortions. They go straight to glory. So many women go through that, the abortion deal, and the as they grow in Christ, they get saved, they regret that. You have someone waiting for you. I'm going to go to the gate and say, I've got five grandkids here somewhere. I have never met them. I never look into their faces. I know I'm going to be with them forever. Tell me where I can find them. You know, you might get there and say, where's Noah? i got some questions. Or you might get there and say, where's Charles Spurgeon? I want to do morning and evening devotions with him. (laughs) Right? What are these angels doing there? Remarkable scene. And it says, all of the glory. Everything. No sense seeking it here. 
it, it runs through our fingers here like mercury. There's nothing we can hold on to. It's there. And there shall no, no again, in no way, in no kind, no way ever, enter into this city anything that defiles means you and me. Because this corruption will I put on incorruption, this mortal will I put on immortality. We will not defile the city. It will be our home. And the Lamb will be in the center of it, our security. Nothing will enter the defiles, neither whatsoever worketh an abomination, I'm so glad, or maketh a lie. Our baloney meter will never go off in heaven. There's nobody giving us the business. But they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Home. Home. Look, uh, I know you've heard all kinds of stories growing up about St. Peter and the pearly gates. And uh, he's there deciding who's going to get in and who's not going to get in. That ain't happening. You'll see his name in one of the foundation stones, but he ain't at the gates. And St. Peter doesn't decide who gets into this and who doesn't. You decide, and you do it today. Someone reminded me before the service, these gates are never closed. Those who go to hell, the gates are closed before, behind them and never opened. St. Peter is not determining. Jesus Christ died for you. Have you come to him? You don't deserve this city. You ain't worthy of this city. You could never earn this city. This is a free gift that comes with your salvation by God's grace. If you have not come to Christ, you need to do it today because St. Peter ain't going to do you any good. He doesn't determine who gets in. You determine whether you get in or not. And I'll have Brian come. We're going to sing a last song. And you can make that decision today. If you want to accept Christ as your Savior, this is what's ahead of us. This might be the last time I get to teach it to you guys, but I'm going to get to stand in the streets with you guys. And you'll be able to say, Pastor Joe, you were really off on this one. I don't care. I don't care. Right? We're going to stand there together. You and I, we're going to stand there together. No sickness, no death, no sorrow. We're going to be there together. If you're not part of that, you need to change your eternal destiny today. God offers free salvation through the blood of his son. Because eternity is at stake. If you've never accepted Christ as we sing this last song, I'm going to ask you to get out of your seats, walk and stand down here so we can pray with you. Give you a Bible, some literature to read. For the rest of us, I think it's time to say, Lord, you know, I need, it's, you know, like... A, a, a realignment here. I need you to to refocus my compass. You know, I need to keep this in my heart because of everything going on around me, Lord. And He could come at any time. Let's stand. Let's pray together. Lord, I know you've overheard, Lord. So you put this in front of us, Lord. You fill our spiritual vision with this, Lord. And we, and we take it and we, we, we try to distill it and sift through it, Lord. And we need the help of your spirit to do that. But let it weigh, Lord, more than the things that are around us. And, Lord, we do pray for those who may be here who have never come. You add daily to the church such as should be saved. So, Lord, if there are men or women or boys or girls here, Lord, that have never come, that are not sure whether they're going to be in heaven when they die, Lord Jesus, by your grace, would you draw them today as they come 
and ask your forgiveness. Lord, we trust you with all of this. We put it before you, Lord. We pray in your name. Amen.